Go. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham when he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and to whom also Abraham appointed a tenth of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, the king of righteousness, and then also the king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither the beginning of days nor the end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now, observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his choicest spoils. And those indeed, the sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have a commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their countrymen, although they are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descendant from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might say that he himself receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Awesome. Would you pray for us? Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for um, just uh, allowing us to gather tonight and read your word. I thank you. Um, for the faithfulness of this Bible study, God, and just mm. that you've allowed um, our schedules to be free every single Tuesday night, God, and just the ways that you've worked and that you've convicted us and that you have um, used one another um, to sharpen each other, God. I, I ask today that um, you would just humble our hearts and that we would. Um, simply interpret um, what is in this passage of Hebrews um, biblically and um, that it would bring praise and honor and glory to Christ um, and it's in his name that we're um, reading today and I just ask that you would um, point us to the gospel of your precious song through this passage. Amen. 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 So, how many of you are not familiar with Melchizedek? I know of him. I mean, as you're reading the story, I'm like, oh, I know the character, but I didn't know him by name. Yeah, like, some of you are familiar. I'm assuming you've previously studied him. Emma, you went to class to talk all about him. There's many different ways to interpret him, though. That's That's what I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. Which... Even in my reading, I had what we have in the Bible, what we have from Jewish literature, mm-hmm. outside literature, right? So it's all just like, who is the guy, right? Hold your spot there. We'll go to Genesis 14 real quick. The chapters are the big numbers. The verses are the, the small numbers. Genesis 14. Genesis 14. So, right, if you're familiar at this point, Abraham and Lot, are, or Abram and Lot are separated at this point. Lot's kidnapped. Abram and the Navy SEALs go in and get him, right? But then what happens at, after this? Verse 17 there. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the king's who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So, right, a couple of questions come up. Priests haven't been established through Levi's or um, Aaron's 
genealogy, right? Levites, those were who priests were. So, and this is way before then, right? This is near Abram. That this Melchizedek is priest of the Most High. We're not given details as to how priesthood was established. All that just God called this man to a priest. Right. Is the guy just made up? Is he just a title? Is that we don't know his name, but just know this title. Um, another spot that we find his name is Psalm 110. Chapter 1? No, chapter 1 is his 110. 110. That's like a reference to Jesus, right? Like a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek? Mm-hmm. Yep. So then you just quoted it word for word. So Psalm 110, verse 4, right? The Verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. All the way in verse 4, though, like Harrison just said, you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's a reference to Christ, isn't it? It's a forerunner of Christ. There's an argument to be made that this is a type of Christ. So the point being throughout Hebrews, Jesus is better than the Old Covenant. And in that, better than the former priesthood. The priest that interceded on behalf of the people, offering sacrifices first for themselves and then for the people of God, daily, yearly, right? Just as Jesus, though, would make one final sacrifice. The the Hebrews writer, a pastor, we assume, to his audience, who are more than likely Jews, makes this connection because he knows they will know this character. And we just got out of, right, let us leave the elementary doctrine, move on to maturity. And like we said, he's going to, in a sense, speak to them, but over their head, let's talk about this guy. A guy who we have some writings on, not really sure who he is, but using him to point to a better priesthood. Because what he's going to say about him like the guy's strong, but Jesus is much stronger. So, yeah. Anyway, Melchizedek provides a way for combining the royal and priestly offices. Two changes in priesthood from Melchizedek to Abraham, who will then go through his line to Aaron and the Levites to Jesus, who would be the final priest and so jesus better but going back to hebrews you have the significance of this character and so he's a historical figure an ultimate as a type right an ultimate priesthood of christ he's the title of king but we know who is ultimately the king of kings and lord of lords right jesus who Melchizedek is, Jesus is the greater Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest king. Something by which law no Levitical priest could ever be. King of righteousness, king of Salem, also meaning king of peace. And he's explaining this. Is this guy an angel? Is he a pre-incarnate Jesus? I think he's just simply using this character to point to Jesus being a better priesthood, establishing in the new covenant this priesthood. So, part of where that comes from is with rabbis. Because with, with priests, they had to establish their genealogy going back to Aaron. They couldn't establish it. They couldn't ultimately be a priest. So the fact... When you read there in chapter 7, verse 3, he's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So it's, it's not to point to that this man is immortal, that because he had no father or mother or genealogy, he just lived forever. No, it's an argument from silence. The Genesis not mentioning his family, not mentioning where he came from, 
it is a type, it's a requirement of what Christ needs. Okay? So all Levitical priests, they had to have this genealogy that comes back to Aaron. Both figures, though, their position based solely on the call of God. Where God has called them to, that is why they are there. So verse 3, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Jesus is a greater fulfillment of what Melchizedek was and that his reign would go on forever. Right? And then you get to verse 4. Look, Just look how great this man is. Verse 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Abraham held up in Jewish history. He paid tithes to Melchizedek. You get to verse 5. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people as from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. He was paid tithes because of his greatness. He has blessed Abram. He's completely... Abraham had completely recognized the superiority of Melchizedek. That's why he received tithes. It's suggested that he's eternal. But again, all pointing back to this priest's superiority. And the writer has taken this common Hebrew understanding of tithing to point to the superiority of him. And then why Jesus is even superior to that. Verse 6. But this man does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham, blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Again, talking about these priests who take tithes from the people, still descend from Abraham, Abraham, who gave tithes to Melchizedek. Verse 9. One might even say a Levi himself who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So then we get to verse 11, and there's change of perfection. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest? So again, if we could live under the law and be perfect, no need for Jesus. No need for priests to make sacrifices for us. Because we can do it ourselves. We can live perfectly. But that's not the case, right? We needed another priest. We needed someone else. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? There has been a change in the way... Man seeks perfection. The, the way man seeks accountability. You can see in this world where people are seeking something greater than themselves. A few Wednesdays ago, um, talked about it with the Christian mysticism. The free-spirited the free search within yourselves. Meditate. Train, train yourself to go outside God's word and find God's will. And whether it's a different religion, whether it's a different practice, there's this seeking perfection through religion. And it can easily become a work, something we do, something we have to do to attain life, right? When do we turn to our works rather than salvation? Rather than Christ. Because professing, right, we're not saying we do that. It's functionally we, we do that. But when does that happen? Pride. Pride? Fear. Like insecurity. Mm-hmm. So you can depart, you know, feel like you're apart from God. Mm-hmm. Lack of self-discipline. Our desire to control. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Prime. Prime. 
So I think in a lot of those examples, whatever happens, circumstances, big life event, it causes those, whether it's pride one way where it's just like everything's going well and it's like, why do I need God? I've been doing all this on my own. I don't need him. Or the other way, you, you lose someone, you lose something, fear, insecurity. Where has God been? Right? And it's, it's turning to ourselves. It's turning to us. And maybe we even get to a place where we're like, I need to come back to God, but I need to clean my life up before I come back. Right? And that's totally not biblical. Right? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. And as this author is explaining, right, the priesthood changed. It didn't just keep going into this system under the law, just pointing to the fact we need someone else. Someone else did come. Verse 12. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For... The one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. Again, it was the Christ event. Jesus came. He lived, he died, and rose again. Where did Jesus come from? Tribe of Judah. Right? And where did priests come from? Levites. Right? When it's saying in verse 13... For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, which no one has served from the altar. No one from Judah served as priest. The law was fulfilled. Priests came from Levi. Jesus came from Judah. It was this change, the change we all needed and the change we rejoice at tonight, because this change took place. Verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. Verse 15, the qualification for priest changes becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, Psalm 110, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Men became priests on what basis? Genealogy? Death, birthright. Genealogy. What did you say? Death? Yeah, death. There's a new high priest when the current decides. So the office is always being rebuilt. Go more basic. I just always think about them casting lots to determine who the next high priest was. Go, go more basic. What was the question? Why did, why did, how did I ask that? Why did men become priests? How, how, how did, did men, men become priests? How did men become priests? Communion with God. More basic. More basic than God chose them. Close. They were commanded to? Close. They went to synagogue? Close. The law? Close. The law. Who said the law? (laughs) The law. Right? God prescribed how these men were to be priests, what they wore, how they went in, right? I'm pretty sure the great high priest wore bells on him when he went to the Holy of Holies to make sure he's alive. They quit hearing them. He's dead. Go in there and get him. Get a new high priest. Pull him out. Pulled him out. Yes, I am. Yeah, they didn't even go in, right? Just, just yank him out. Presence of God, right? But it's it was God's law that prescribed all of it by the rules, by the legal requirements. Jesus is appointed great high priest, right? He is the perfect Son of God, and he is the only priest that's endless. Every great high priest, dead. Not this great high priest. Right? He's only, he was only dead three days and he came back to life. The law, right? What did the law point to? The need for a savior. 
Did you read my notes? No. <laughs> Cheater. <laughs> I did not. Right, the law pointed to we needed a safety. We were weak, fragile. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> we are corruptible. We're dying. Right, no, no priest ever could give life to a person. No, because the law was unattainable. The law was unattainable. But Jesus, perfect, eternal, endless, the life giver. So in all those things, like, so we talk about Melchizedek, and I don't want to get into all the different theories of Melchizedek, because we could spend an entire night on that. So I don't really want to dig into that too much. But with regard to, like, like Melchizedek, he's a wise man. We all could agree on that. That's what it says. And we know that he's righteous, right? Those are the things that are said about him. He's the king of righteousness, is I believe what it's addressed in Genesis 14. So like when I think about Jesus being compared to become Melchizedek, I still struggle because I'm like, man, like we're comparing Jesus, like the savior of the world, mm-hmm. to yeah. a wise man. Right. Like, and when I think wise men, the first thing I think of is the three men that brought gifts to like young three-year-old Jesus. And I just, I can't get past why, why, Brendan, would we compare Melchizedek, or I'm sorry, because we actually use Melchizedek as the standard. We actually don't use Jesus in the standard of the passage. He uses Melchizedek as the standard and compares Jesus to, why would we do that? It seems like we're humanizing Jesus more than we should. So I, I think the author here, there's a great opportunity to use this man who's barely mentioned that Jesus is the better priest. And as good as this priest sounds, as good as it may seem to go away from this new covenant back into the old covenant, Jesus is still better than this. As great as this sounds, Jesus is still better. Far better, right? Not just tiny fractions. He established a new covenant. This new covenant would change everything. It would change the way we draw near to God. Because even look at verse 18. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Right? How did the people in the Old Testament draw near to God? Obedience to the law. Right? But I think I saw a an infographic. You had the how they thought the camp was set up in Exodus when they're traveling. Yeah. You have all these tents. And there's probably only thousands at this point, because we know there's millions. Millions around the tent where God resided. And yet no one was allowed in there. They see the cloud descend on it. Right? You would think Russia. Let's go be with God. I don't know the terror. Can you imagine the terror of like, like even if you were just standing in Jerusalem when Solomon's temple was constructed, of like facing the temple of God, like right in front of you? Mm-hmm. Like how crazy would that be to like think about God on earth in a place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just go back to why um, we've got the dwelling of God in such a place where he is within the Holy of Holies, uh, layers between us and him. So only a priest can go in there, and the priest has certain requirements. Like, he can only go in once a year. Just all these things in place. Because when they were in the desert, they were in the wilderness, God was at the mountain. There were, um, there were like once where God was speaking directly to the entire tribe. And everyone was struck with fear and told Moses, we, we, we don't want to have that direct contact with God because he's so terrible. Yeah. So because of that, they were asking for a barrier between Where's that? themselves and God. That's Exodus. Yeah, it's more Exodus. They're so Exodus time. 17? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. Is it when Moses comes down from 
It's just before the Ten Commandments. I like too in Genesis 14 where it talks about, you know, he brought out bread and wine for them. He was priest of God most high. And I feel like it's even kind of parallel to, you know, this is my body, this is my body, I do this, you know, for you. And I feel like, I feel like they would have gotten that reference pretty strongly. Mm-hmm. Well, so like, and the other thing is that Melchizedek is spoken about often in the Talmud. So like, when you talk about like Talmudic Jews and 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 the, the Jews of the day, I, I would say that they didn't maybe worship this too much. But like, he was a hero. Like, he was the standard um, for the faith, and obviously like the. The Pharisees and the Sadducees would disagree on this point on how like important Melchizedek was to their faith. Um, with the Sadducees really doubling down on like Melchizedek being this like gold standard by which the Messiah would come, which I believe is the reference in, in Psalm one ten. Is is it's talking about? Or my my belief is that the reference in Psalm one ten is a reference of what the Sadducees would believe that that the coming Messiah would be like Melchizedek. And, and that's, he would be like a, a warrior king that would also be the high priest, right? Because that was like the, the belief at the time, was that there would be a conquering king, a conquering hero that would come, but he would also be the high priest of God. And you think like the apostles and the people, you know, the church who's reading the letter to the Hebrews would have gotten like the parallel of the Last Supper with, you know, bringing out the bread and wine. I think so. I think I think that you know the reason that Hebrews we don't who, who we don't know who wrote Hebrews, right? So like the reason Hebrews is written the way it is is it's it's directed to people who understood like Jewish law and tradition, right? You could argue that Matthew is written the same way, and so I think that most people who are like making that comparison would see that right away. And, you know, I think it continues with, like, general hospitality. Like, there's something different when you feed someone and you bring them to your household and you feed them. There's a connection that you make with that person. And, and the, the, the intimacy of that is, like, really significant. Um, and I think it all measures back to Melchizedek's offering of Abraham as Abraham came back a conquering hero. But it's interesting, though, Melchizedek's not the conquering hero. Abraham is, right? Melchizedek is the one that's guiding him. And I think that takes an impact into our lives, that Jesus being our high priest, sending us out to conquer the world for him, but not in the way that most people would expect. I think going back to your question, like, why are they comparing... Jesus to Melchizedek instead of Melchizedek to Jesus. However you said it. I think it's interesting because they thought of Abraham as the best man that had walked the face of the earth mm-hmm. because he was their father. But like in this passage, it's Abraham tithing to Melchizedek. So like it's not even just whatever pedestal they put Abraham on, Melchizedek is even higher than that. And so to put to say that he is one of the greatest men to have ever lived even better than Abraham, they're probably all like, okay, you're serious, <laughs> you know, to just say that Jesus think, is even higher than that. I think it ties into when Jesus says, how is it that David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. I think that this is in a way doing that same kind of thing, right? How is it that Jesus said, how is it Jesus stems from the lineage of David and David is calling him Lord, mm-hmm. right? So it's like that idea, I think, is nuzzled in here, too. It's like, well, I think in some ways, the question you had earlier is answered in 15 through 17, right? Because it's not... You read it out for me? Yeah, yeah. This became even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of the indestructible of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, then it references Psalm 110, right? Mm-hmm. I think that is saying, look, you have this this 
this priest in Mechizedek who is not traceable to any lineage. Um, although you could trace Jesus' lineage. But you have this emergence of God into the world via a, sure, yeah, you could say a lineage. But, I mean, really, God is it's incarnate in the, in the Virgin Mary. Right? Mm-hmm. So he's, he's entering into this covenant not with flesh and blood, um, except his own physical flesh and blood. Then that idea kind of cycles back always to Psalm 110, which is why the most quoted verse in the Bible. Which I mean, I think again, just even the 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 verse, "You are a priest forever," after the order of Melchizedek, not Melchizedek's a priest forever. Yeah, Jesus is the priest forever, and that's. Repeated throughout Hebrews. Back in chapter 5. You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. Back in chapter 1, it was... For which to the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Right? He never called any of the angels son. Only Jesus. So... Now they, we've asked this, right? What was the point of the law? To show our need for a Savior. How did someone get saved in the Old Testament? The grace of God. Grace of God. Faith. By faith. In the coming Messiah. Looking forward, right? Looking at what was the question. It's the question up to it this. Wasn't sacrifices. Right. It's the question up to this point. We can't keep the law. But God. Right? He has made a way through Jesus. There is hope in this high priest. The last and forever high priest. And when he died, right, what happened? The veil's torn in two. And it changes how anyone draws near to God. And that's where, right, we fast-track to Hebrews 11. Oh, yeah. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. Verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. There's no qualifier there of go to the priest. Right? Because we have the priest. So the veil's torn in two, and we can have direct access to God. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We also believe God is unchanging, that his promises don't change, that his character doesn't change. Jesus will always be the high priest, and that will not change. There will never be a day where we go to a different priest. It will always be Jesus, and we don't have to question it. Yeah. Right? And then you get to verse, verse 20, and it is not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn... And will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Again, these Jews want to go back to the old covenant. Back to Melchizedek. He is not priest forever. Only Jesus. In verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Like I said, a small group last night. The only time you find that Greek word of guarantor there. The person and work of Jesus guarantees a better, a new covenant. No man, no other high priest could guarantee that. Only Jesus. Only by what he did when someone gets saved, they're justified, they're positionally moved from out of Christ to in Christ, and Jesus guarantees this. That's the only use of the whole Bible? The whole New Testament. Oh, that's such a... Like Greek, right? So. Just highlight that one word. Highlight it. And it's only because it's Greek. What word? Guarantor. Where's that? 
What does that mean? Guarantor. To... So, like, when Emily and I... Before Emily and I were married, we got an apartment. My income wasn't the threshold. So I had to get a guarantor on the lease. It was basically, if I failed, someone else would pay the price. Well, it's not even a co-signer because his guarantor doesn't have to live with him. So they're not co—they're not signing on the lease together. But the guarantor was like, stating... A it's a promiser. Yeah. Yes. The guarantor is basically saying, when they fail, I will pay. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense. You, it's someone who guarantees something. When, like, when, I, when I fail, when I do... <laughs> when I do, they got it. A guarantor. A guarantor, right? How is that comforting? Very comforting. Yeah. Good. Well, I mean, this makes you just the guarantor of a better covenant. So, I mean, all that preceded Jesus, Melchizedek, everyone that was ever a great, you know, any weight that, you know, everyone's looking up to these people that have contact with God. Everyone, like, no, not everyone had contact with God. Priests had contact with God. So everyone's looking to that. Well, when, when that changed and uh, everything that they once knew, everything that they were taught of changed, this it gives confidence and peace that it falls upon a, a better, like the high priest, like mm-hmm. most high. And so I, I think, you know, better is better than good. I guess, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, right? Strong. So, 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 four. so better, better than good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Dictionary. But but covenant. So what is a covenant? You know, a, a covenant is a in a, is an agreement. I, I would like help on this one. Now, what is a covenant? Like it's a promise that God makes with us. Mm-hmm. So God's making a new promise with us, right? Mm-hmm. And that's Jesus. His new covenant through and Jesus. As is laid out here, is like it, it is a better covenant because you've got as described on one hand. Um, You've got one set aside because it was weak and useless. Like, the law could make nothing perfect. All all it could do was, like, cover sin slightly so that God let us live longer, so he wouldn't just strike down Israel. Mm -hmm. It didn't take away the sin. But Christ coming in takes away the sin. So on one hand, what's useless is gone, and now we have a better covenant because it does make us perfect. Mm -hmm. And additionally, it's not going away um, because it's sure and forever. Like that's the the nature of the priesthood of Melchizedek was like in not having uh, father or mother or genealogy. It was. He was there. He was the the priest until then. The law was introduced, and then he had <coughs> the sequence. But now we've got another the eternal priest coming in, and I don't know where it's at in here. I know it's in here somewhere. Um, I was listening to it, but like you've got, you're going from the priests before. Um, the Levitical priests who were able to enter the Holy of Holies in certain certain instances. Um, but now, we no longer have that on earth, and instead we have Christ in heaven, and not just there briefly, but there all the time. Mm-hmm. And so we've got, that's why it's better. Much better. Yeah. We are crippled in debt, and Christ paid it. Well, it's interesting to think, like, if you think about the temple and it's the priest, but the priest is making atonement for sin. It's Christ is the lamb, but he's also the priest. So that in and of itself assures us that it's a better covenant because it's like 
I don't want to say a two-in-one, but like an eternal God paying for sin and mm. applying it, doing all of it. So that that makes sense. That's what makes it better. Plus, I mean, it's the final sacrifice. Mm. We don't need to mm, final sacrifice. continue sacrificing, right? I mean, the rest tells you why he's better. 23 through 28 tells you why he's the better priest, so. Mm-hmm. I didn't read that yet, so I'm not reading that. For sure. Um, what does this motivate you to do? Just in, in general, or? I mean, right, to live this truth out, that Jesus guarantees a better covenant he's the final sacrifice I want to learn more about it I mean I feel like I feel like I've been too away from the word honestly which is don't ever do that guys <laughs> but just yeah, uh-huh. I need to learn more and refresh my memory and just be more confident in the truth of what Jesus is uh-huh. yeah growing close to him yeah I need to learn more about the Old Testament Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we reflect on his grace, I mean, you know, this should by the a byproduct of that is just telling people that they're accessible to that same grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have assurance by that grace. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because under the law, there was no assurance. No. Um, you could so easily lose your salvation. Um, because we're like it, yeah, it was it was works based in sacrifices that weren't able to cover everything, and so like dead men wasn't yet raised to life with little sacrifices. But we have assurance now; we have that guarantee because of that eternal sacrifice that was made that was enough to actually make us pure. But it, not everyone goes to church and, and, and understands the love of Jesus the same way. Like, not everyone goes to church in the understanding of the new covenant. Right? It's like the rightly division of the word of God. There is a fear in, in, in how the Bible has been shared and how the gospel has been shared in a condemnation. What I've seen, so, I mean, last year, I mean, there was a, there was a man, Bruce, I think I, talked, I told a couple of you guys this, but... He leads a Bible study going through Romans, and it's, you know, the youngest age in there is 65. There's a lot of people that have been set in their ways of learning Jesus' love, but they didn't understand the grace part. You know, that there's not, a, they're not really living in an a, 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 um, eternal security, you know. And so, like, that there's a fear factor in that. You know, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a foot in the door. It's so, like... I, I don't, I'm only so new to being a, here, and I would ask, you know, any church examine their body and their life groups and, and, and walk with those that have learned something that they believe and examine if it's true, you know, like the Bereans, right? Like that's, so, because I think that's a, it's a sad truth that we're not all living in the newness that Christ has made for us. You know, like we might say something but not know it. And that's a lot of faith. I mean, that's, that's a lot of belief. It's, it's not faith, it's just I believe it because it saves me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think that's only so shallow, you know, and, and Satan's okay with that. Um, so, I, so I would ask to examine that. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, like this, this passage is right after him talking about, you know, being called to maturity, and some people need milk still, and some people need self too, so it's like, they might get there, but just at a different time. Yeah, I think there's a a healthy balance between, like, um, using that as, like, a, like, explicit liberty in Christ, but then there's, like, then there's some church cultures and, like, Dutch Reformed that are, like, it's, you should have a healthy fear of assurance of your salvation. Right? Because they feel like there's this like 
there's this kind of tension that exists between Scott's sovereignty and your own responsibility. So like, you know, you could just be by proxy of other people living in a certain manner. So it's like, but I don't you know don't where that know God. line is. You don't know God. You right. don't know yeah. Jesus. Oh, look, I'm not making the case for either. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm just well, saying, I mean, like, I guess what you know, if, if a fire and brimstone church is this way, and there's like this, a six, a six seven year old now, accepted Jesus at a revival meeting at that fire, then what are they living in? That's what I'm getting at. And if that's what they're speaking and teaching, then is that faith or is that belief out of fear? You know, and so that's. I, and I see that, and, and my my friend Bruce is like seventy seven or something. He he tells me, you know, like I just had this conversation with this guy, and it, they are coming faithfully to this Bible study because they want to know. But it's you, it's you know, teaching a dog new tricks, old dog new tricks, like the same thing. But it's like I believe this, like it's the same thing as when um, when you guys had your, your Muslim, Muslim friend. I don't know if you guys were able to meet with them. You know, if you're trying to bring in to them, hey, this is new light, like this is life giving, your God does not bring you life. Yeah. You know, I there's a I feel and, and it's the same God we're talking about, you know, but it's if there's a distinct difference in his character. You know, God is full of righteous, but he is not wrath, his cup of wrath is separate from him. You know, like understanding what he does and who he is versus just what he does. You know, like who is God to you versus, yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know. Maybe I'm not making sense. I mean, I think the only distinction I'd make is that his wrath comes out of his righteousness. Mm-hmm. And his justice. Mm-hmm. And his justice. Like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's separated. His wrath. From, well, yeah. It's but not it's a, a it's not an uncontrolled it's not in wrath. His character. But it's like almost by necessity. He does it to atone. It's separate because it was satisfied. Sure. Is what uh, Landon's yes. going. I would deal. But it's not separate. It's just satisfied. Fulfillment, satisfied, mm-hmm. fulfillment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I think I think the question for any of us is to to read through this. And not. Oh, are you gonna say something? Well, I just wanted to. The fire and brimstone church is like. Are they the ones that teach like you could lose your salvation if you mess up, kind of thing? Or. Uh, I don't know. So it's kind of like Jonathan Edwards' sermon that's just about hell. Right. Where it's just like you cannot be separated. Or you're going to be separated from God forever. You're going to burn forever. So why don't you just say this prayer and that way you don't go burn forever? Like it's yes. like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Not that Jonathan Edwards did that. Wasn't, that. Yeah, that wasn't his whole sermon. <laughs> that was the title of his sermon that made it sound fire and brimstone. Sorry, the um, title. Honestly, like, yeah. Um, that was not Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to say. But, uh, that's good. That's strong. Um, <laughs> White tent. No, I, th- I think the question for any of us is reading through something like this. Like, this is exciting yeah. to know this God. Yep. Right? When you eat a, I don't know if you all like steak, but when you eat your, a nice, fresh, medium rare steak. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say sirloin. I was like, really, Brittany? No, no, no. No, no, no. But. It tastes good, right? And you want more of it. We want more meat. Yeah. And keep giving us... Right, One of my favorite books I read this year was Eat Your Bible. I thought it was going to have a very different connotation. But it was a great book on just feeding on the Word of God. Not staying on milk, as he was pressing them to not do. But there's meat, and it's good, and you need it to live on and press through in this world. Right? How does this motivate you? Motivate, be motivated to know this God, and know that this life you can't fully comprehend Him. Yeah. And I don't even know if in eternity we'll fully comprehend Him. Yeah. But we will worship Him for all of eternity. Comprehended Him. Yeah. And there, there's something like, to. the nature yeah. of this, and that it just is the Word of God. Mm. So it's not a book. Um, so. 
when it comes to food, we can eat food and enjoy it. But if you have just one thing all the time, you get sick of it. You get tired of it. Yeah. Happens, yeah. Manna happens with quail. <laughs> with food, you can do too much. With music, if you're only listening to music all the time, you'll get tired of singing music. Uh, with certain smells in nature, um, some smells you get too much of it. Eventually, you're sick of it, even though it itself and its its nature and how it's meant to be taken in is good and beautiful. This it, it it's different because it's not like listening to something. It's not like reading books um, and just the natural place where books reside. It is the word of God. It is moving um, in such a way that it, it doesn't fill, um, it doesn't fill us in a way that other books would. Um, it fills us in a way that it's, it's always beneficial, we're always growing by it, we're always getting actual spiritual food from it. <laughs> it's not something that is filling us because we want to be filled. Um, it, it doesn't fit in a natural space. Mm -hmm. It fits in a supernatural space, a spiritual space. And every other book's alone, right? Yeah. This one's got a Holy Spirit behind it. Yeah. You can smell it. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> be motivated. And then he moves on. Former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Every other priest died. They couldn't keep the office because they quit breathing. Simple enough, right? But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He will always be priest. We've continued to make this point. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost. I don't think any of you used the word uttermost this week so uh, that is completely or at all times he is able to save completely at all times those who draw near to god through him since he always lives to make intercession for them again another promise since he always lives to make intercession for them he's the eternal only priest saving anyone who comes to him. Again, it isn't this God's on a mountain and there's different ways up the mountain through Jesus, but Jesus coming off that mountain and walking up with us to God. Which then brings us to this last paragraph, bringing us to Christ, that his divine character is yet another proof to his superiority, to his being a better priest. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. No human can be described in this way. Holy, set apart, blameless, could not be accused, not stained by sin, he never gave in to sin. He's quite different from sinners. Right? Verse 25 remind us that Jesus doing what he did made it possible for intercession to take place. Exalted above the heavens. Right? The old covenant fails to bring people out of darkness, only pointing to a need for someone else. Verse 27 that the the high priest, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of all the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He's the perfect final sacrifice. It points back to that God's promise came true, all the way back from Genesis 3, all the way back to Abraham, that nation, as many as the stars. All the way back to David. All the way back to Solomon. Back to all these prophets. 
Someone was coming. Jesus brings this new covenant and he's, he's better than Melchizedek. As great as Melchizedek was, Jesus is better. Right? What greater salvation could we ask for? Verse 20, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Is there a struggle in your life to believe the work Jesus did was able to save you? Is there a struggle that you're practically trying to overcome? I mean, there has been in my life. Mm-hmm. There's been moments where, like, I've doubted my salvation and I've, I've doubted that like, Jesus is able to save me from certain destruction. But that was just, I was in a particularly bad moment in my life where I was just in open sin, open rebellion against God, or whether it was a season in life where I just was choosing to be fearful and not choosing to trust the Lord with all my heart and lean on uh, more than myself, right? It's not, I'm so sick of relying on my own understanding. So. Mm-hmm. Took about a year after studying the doctrines of grace that I was like really, I was really sad. I just didn't think that it was going to be going to be me. So it's just a rough time, but here we are. Yeah, I think there's probably with knowing the atonement and how, like, it is eternal, but how God elected some, and you look at your life and you, how can we be assured visually? Some visual person you think through. The Bible says we will produce fruit. So I think more in that regard of like, it's not Christ's work that I am like that can pick because I know it can, but it's more mm-hmm. okay. But He also promises that through His Holy Spirit, fruit will be produced, not a fruit of my own imagination, but biblical fruit laid out in Galatians, mm-hmm. laid out in the whole New Testament. So I would say more of that. Mm-hmm. And I think with what you're saying, right, with bearing fruit, I think there's been times in my life where I'm not bearing fruit because I'm being pruned. But I wasn't faithful in the pruning, which gave me more reason to think I'm not saved. And this mm-hmm. happened in Bible college when I'm watching... People get saved twice, three times, four times, mm-hmm. getting baptized each time, <laughs> going all over social media with it, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not spiritual because I'm not getting, I'm not getting saved four times, like. But. So I was uh, going through this with someone yesterday, but I think something of value is like this idea of. Doubting God is different than asking God how this is going to happen or why it's going to happen. Like, like asking questions for God for understanding is bringing God glory. Mm-hmm. Is different than doubting that God can do something. You know, and and we see that with Zechariah versus Mary. You know, and I think in my own life I've had both. You know, and um, the doubting I think was more of like is God trustworthy? You know, like, why would I trust? You know, like, I, I, would, I would trust, but then when, when it came to God, it was like, well, God could actually be worthy of trust, so why am I having trouble trusting him? Um, but, I, correct me, I'm sorry, what you Angela? As Angela was saying, you know, like, this diving into the word, that really was, it, you know, like, the, it was no, there was no other voice that I needed to hear than of God's to edify me where I was at, you know, and that was something, because, like, I was someone that would run for 37 people to listen to what they would say, asking the same question, needing some response, and it would all be tickling my ear, but then I was like, this is nothing, you know, and it's because their faith was was grounded foundationally but like I was asking a question that that God was answering to me about who is God to me 
you know, and like, I think that gratification of, of my soul only came from a pruning of like, God wants to, like, like God wants me to know him deeper. So he's going to prune all these other things that I'm holding on to. And I was reminded of this. It's like, God's going to get what he wants from you, regardless of if you're going to give it to him or not. And it might hurt in the pruning, and he might have to rip your hands off of it. But he's going to put you in a position where you understand why God's doing what he's doing. You know, and um, so that, that positioning of me to him, revering him, being in a form of reverence, you know, that that's I believe what brought me to a more of an understanding of questioning God to know Him mm-hmm. versus hiding behind this idea of man I don't want to question God because I don't want to be like Zechariah, but contextually someone revealed that to me of like God wants to hear you you know like you your your cries matter to God, mm-hmm. um, so I thought that was really comforting. It's mm-hmm. awesome. There's pruning season, but also there's just time of lacking time in the Word. That's probably when I feel the most. It's feel because I'm going off my heart instead of what the Word of God says. Mm. So when I'm lacking my time in the Word, it's like, well, duh, you're not going to. You're not seeking God. You're seeking <laughs> your own understanding. Yeah. And it's. You're right. Well, it's so tr- it's simple. Yeah. We try to overcomplicate it, but it's like word of God. And I want to I want to be clear: like God can reveal anything through the Word, right? You could be reading the passages that yeah. you have no understanding for. And there's been moments in my life where I like read a passage and I was like, "What?" And then gather so much out of it that you didn't even understand that you recognized. Yeah. Leonard Ravenhill says, "No man is greater than his prayer life." I think that that one is one that gets slept on a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That we should strive for godly piety. Mm-hmm. And on that, so going back to pruning, in pruning, like I, the the pastor at the church I was going to back in Kansas, uh, he had a vineyard. So he had grapes and he, he had grapes that he could in your church. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. They grow grapes in Kansas? Huh? They grow grapes in Kansas? Yeah, they grow oh. grapes in Kansas. Where? Fertile soil. <laughs> there is some Sorry. water in Kansas. There's wherever they can grow grapes. grapes. <laughs> 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 anyway, there's some. No, the name of the church was vintage, right? Oh. Vintage. Vintage, right. I see. Yeah. Oh, anyways. No, but... <laughs> And, and he did talk about this, but when you when you prune, you have to prune with uh, new vines. So the the vine should be a few years old before it's actually able to give good grapes. So the first time around, um, when it starts putting out grapes, you gotta really come, you gotta prune it so that it it's focusing its energy on deepening its roots. Because that's the growth that will continue to happen yeah. when the pruning is done. So, strong. in order to have good, strong fruit, it's going to have good, strong roots. So that it can reach more nutrients and be able to funnel that, be able to funnel that into the fruit. Um, you also have to cut it back. To the place where it looks like you killed it. That's a cross point young adult slogan. Yeah, you gotta go pretty far. <laughs> you have to like, make it essentially look like you killed it. It's from all the, yeah. the vineyard analogies I've ever heard. It's like, it's like, what is like stick. It's like, there's nothing left. I killed it. Shoot, shoot, shoot. And then it comes back. Yeah, so it's just the one. Yes. Yeah. Oh. GSF, GSR. Are you gonna remember that? Oh, yeah. What is Jesus? Yeah, that's what What'd you say, Angela? That's what pruning is about. Like, I never really realized that. Yes, well, like, how I've learned it's it, it, yeah, focusing yeah. on the root versus yeah. the fruit of our labor. 
you know, like we always we always care about the outside. Right. God right. cares. If about. I pull up in a one point two million dollar car, we're gonna look at like, it. And I'm like, yo, wow. this is my fruits. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is my fruit. I'm this prosperous, God. You know, this is my this is my twenty thousand dollar Rolex. You know what I mean? Look at this fruit. <laughs> <laughs> this is good fruit. This is my insecurity. We know that there's a, look. It's just fruit to me. But then when I say, Jackson, let's go have lunch, and you're like, I don't think I can afford it this yeah. time. <laughs> if, pastor, if pastor goes, guys, we need a private jet, <laughs> we're going to know something's up. <laughs> He's like, I got, I got a really good deal on this private jet for Cross Point. I, I lost the analogy. Sorry. Yes, yeah. 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 I, I just yeah. want so you to on the Right. But Angela, back to Angela, back to what you were saying. Like, there's going to be there's a time for everything, and your pruning season, or any any of our pruning seasons, will end. But will we be obedient, be in the Word, pray, gather with the church, do what we know is right, even though it just feels like a cold season. Will he come out of it trusting God and being like, wow, you really worked? Or will he just bring us out because he's gracious and good? And it's like, wow, I, I did nothing to, mm-hmm. to help that. I remind that of every prayer request that's answered. And I look back and go, I never prayed for that prayer request. God still answered, even though I did not yeah. pray. One last question before we go to prayer requests. Um, reading the Old Testament, do you read it as if it's about Christ? And does this passage help? 